Aren't you grateful to celebrate Jesus is alive today? Amen. Go with me, if you will. We're going to talk about resurrections today, and I want to talk about three key resurrections, and we're going to start in John chapter 11. If you've got your copy of God's Word, John chapter 11. When you open up to John chapter 11, you find that there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. Uh, Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary, and they lived in a little village outside of Jerusalem about two miles called Bethany. And they were friends of Jesus, dear friends of Jesus. Uh, In Luke chapter 10, Martha had opened her home to Jesus. And so Jesus, in his travels around the regions, uh, most likely came to Jerusalem for, uh, when he would come to Jerusalem for the feast, he would stay with this family. It was far enough to not accelerate the people's plan to want to plot to kill Jesus, and yet close enough that he could go in in back and forth to Jerusalem. Kind of like having a hotel room on the outskirts of the bigger city because it's cheaper, right? He had a place to stay. This family, context tells us in Scripture that this family was likely very well-known, wealthy, and influential. Now, Lazarus was facing sickness, and this is just another moment in Jesus' ministry where an individual or a family that Jesus encountered, or in this case knew, who was suffering in some way. Uh, In his earthly ministry and today, of course, in our world, there is evidence of sin, the consequences of sin, the original sin and beyond in our world, sickness and disease and death. Lazarus was in a really bad spot. Scripture teaches us that he was near death. And John noted, it's interesting, John notes something that other gospel writers don't capture because this is unique to John. John noted that Lazarus' sister, Mary, was the one who anointed Jesus by lavishing expensive perfume on him six days prior to the Passover celebration, which would be the time of his death. Now, this took place after John 11, but it was noted by John because he wrote after these events took place. And it's no wonder that Mary found herself wanting to worship Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, we know that Mary would often spend time at Jesus' feet while he was in their home, so she learned from the king himself And then by the time of her act in this next chapter, she would have experienced an incredible miracle in her own family. She recognized that Jesus was more than just a mere mortal. He'd come as the Son of God and came to accomplish a significant mission. Because Lazarus was sick and Jesus was close to the family, Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus, who was likely miles and miles away at this point, They sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was ill and that if something didn't happen, if something didn't change, if there wasn't intervention, he was going to die. Now Jesus, as I said earlier, was really connected to this family, so he cared deeply about what was going on. And no doubt these sisters kind of hoped when Jesus gets word, he's going to want to do something about this. He cares so much for Lazarus, he's going to want to respond. They may have even thought that Jesus would just speak a word And heal him even from a distance because Jesus had done that before. They had faith, give them credit, they had the faith in Jesus to believe that even in his condition, Lazarus could be healed. That Jesus could do something about it. Now Jesus sent word back to Martha and Mary. Verse 4, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. When you study that phrase, this sickness will not end in death, 
you begin to realize the literal translation would be, he shall not fall prey to death. Now, notice Jesus did not say that Lazarus would not die. What Jesus is saying in verse 4 is that death would not be the final state of the sickness. There's a difference. He didn't say that Lazarus wouldn't die. He said that death would not be the final state of the sickness. And I happen to believe that not only was he speaking to Lazarus' condition, but I think he was looking forward, knowing that the cross was coming, knowing that he would pay so that all of the issues of sin could be broken and that death would not be the result for those who believe in Jesus. It's great to think on that, that death would not be the final state. We've read before and we know throughout his ministry that Jesus' word was as good as done. Whether it was him telling the disciples that they were going to go to the other side of the lake despite the fact they faced a storm, or whether it was sending a father home to go to his child who had been sick, when Jesus spoke, it was guaranteed. And whether it happened immediately or whether it took some time to take place, you can always count on the word of Jesus. Instead of ending in death, the miracle of Lazarus, Jesus said, would bring glory to God the Father and would glorify Jesus. It would be yet another sign. Remember the context of the Gospel of John? This is going to be yet another sign to prove that Jesus truly was the Son of God. Now, an interesting thing happens. Jesus gets word. He sends word back to Martha and Mary. But listen to verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we see his care for them. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Jesus had genuine affection for this family. Neither his absence of being in person, nor his delay in traveling, changed the fact that he loved them nor did it affect his word that he'd already spoken. See, we don't always understand why God does what he does. More specifically, why he doesn't do things in the timing or in the way that we think God should do them. But God, even while he's not glorified in sin and sickness in those things, he can use those opportunities to free people from both sin and sickness and bring about greater good in the lives of people. That was his point. Jesus is saying here, my delay is actually for the benefit of the people who are going to be witnesses to this miracle. My delay is actually going to point people even more to the power that I really have. It's going to increase the awareness and the awe of his power that would be shown. Now consider the bigger context of John. John's gospel when, the, when Jesus told the disciples that they were going to go back to Judea, the disciples were a little concerned. By this point in Jesus' ministry, he was greatly opposed by the Jewish people, especially the religious Jewish people. The religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. It's well documented in the Gospels. They wanted to kill Jesus, and they'd been plotting to do so, just waiting for their moment. And it was evidenced by the fact, fact especially that the last time they were in Judea, the last time Jesus and the disciples had been in Judea, they tried to stone Jesus. So the disciples are saying, wait, you really want to go back there? Don't you know how they treated you last time? Don't you know what they wanted to do to you last time? And Jesus basically tells them, 
Despite the fact that I'm nearing this death on a cross, despite the fact that there are people who are targeting me, I am determined that we're going to go and I'm going to act on this family's behalf. And he encouraged the disciples that they must be about the Father's business while they could, while the opportunity presented itself, regardless of what might happen in opposition to their lives. He actually told the disciples, you're going to get some awareness out of this too. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now, we have a tendency to criticize the disciples. Peter denied Christ. Thomas was a doubter. Uh, you, you got a lot of different things going on in these people. But in reality, um, they, they sometimes got things right and they sometimes didn't quite understand it well. His disciples replied to Jesus, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. Like, why are you worried about this, Jesus? And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, Jesus used a, a word in the New Testament that's pretty common for the idea of death, specifically tied to a Jesus follower. He used the word asleep. When you go and read in Acts chapter 7, and Stephen is stoned to death, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, which is already an interesting fact because in most places in Scripture, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, showing that his work was finished. But in this moment, Stephen looks up and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I think we can say he was getting ready to welcome Stephen in and giving him peace to know that the afterlife with Jesus was real. And it says that as Stephen was being stoned, he laid down and fell asleep. And that meant he died. Uh, the disciples weren't as perceptive to Jesus saying this, and so Jesus made it clear. And he, reiter he reiterated his previous word, the final state for Lazarus will not be death. This is going to serve a greater purpose in confirming Jesus' identity and even strengthen the disciples' faith. I said a moment ago, Thomas gets kind of a bad rap for being a doubter. And, and I'm not sure what his intent was here, but Thomas is captured by John as saying, let's go die with Jesus. Maybe he's being loyal in this moment, and he just knows there's opposition. Maybe there's a little bit of sarcasm involved here. And he's saying, well, we know what's going to happen when we get to Judea. They're going to want to stone us again. Let's go die with Jesus. In either case, Jesus and the disciples traveled, and they arrived just outside of the village of Bethany. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, this is significant. The belief was that decomposition began on the fourth day. Decay would begin in a greater way on the fourth day. There was also a belief in Jewish culture at that time that the soul of a dead person would hover over the body for the first three days, hoping to re-enter that body. But after three days, all hope was lost, and only an act of God was thought possible to bring resuscitation. Interesting. John wrote that many of the Jewish people had made their way to Bethany, 
to mourn and to comfort Martha and Mary. This was pretty common practice. You may remember in the Old Testament that Job had friends. I don't know how helpful they were, but he had friends that came and sat with him and, and mourned with him in those moments. In this case, Bethany was only two miles away from Jerusalem. And again, the family was likely well-known, wealthy, and influential. So Jesus and the disciples arrived just outside of the village. They didn't go all the way in because the Jewish people were there with Mary and Martha. Because it, it was very likely that these people would have tried to stop Jesus immediately. They were, again, out to kill him. And it's interesting to note that when you consider that there were Jewish people there, you, you begin to realize that Jesus on this day, his miracle with Lazarus, was going to be done in front of some of his greatest enemies. Then in God's grace and mercy, God was actually going to give these people who had refused to believe in Jesus another opportunity to recognize that Jesus really was the Son of God and to believe. Whether they did it or not, God gave them opportunity to do so. Now Martha heard that Jesus had arrived outside of Bethany and went to meet him. Maybe Jesus even sent someone to let her know. Verse 21, we pick up, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, Martha shows her humanity here. Hey, Jesus, I'm kind of disappointed. I really would have thought that when we sent word, you would have come, or you would have sent your word, you would have done something about this. Why hadn't Jesus already done something? To her credit, Martha believed that Jesus had the power to heal. But to her discredit, she really hadn't fully understood who Jesus was yet. She believed that Jesus had to ask God the Father in order to do a miracle. She lacked some confidence in the reality that Jesus carried that same power and authority in his life and ministry. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. I want you to notice, repeatedly through this passage of Scripture, as we get the narrative the way we have it now, Jesus reiterates his word over and over and over. Almost in a way that, that when the situation seems to change and when it seems impossible, it's, it's in that way of Jesus saying, but remember, I've already spoken over this situation. Remember, I've already given my word. So that people would hold on to that and believe, even if it looked impossible, Jesus has already given his word. And he hasn't changed his mind in his travels. And he didn't become intimidated when he found out that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha speaks here to more of an event a resurrection that would come later in life. Martha had faith that life could and would happen later. She pointed to this event later in life, and she had the faith to believe in that, probably just from Jesus' words. Because the Old Testament doesn't speak a ton to the rapture or to the resurrection of life at the end of time. But in this moment, I want you to notice what Jesus did. Jesus did not... Focus on just one future event. Jesus revealed more about his character. He revealed more of who he is. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am 
the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus was saying. I'm not just able to do an event. I'm not just able to later bring life in the, into someone who's dead. I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection and life are not just a doctrine. Resurrection and life are the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying to Martha, Martha, you're looking at resurrection and life. You're looking at the reality. I can never die. It is, it is totally opposite of my, I can never die permanently. It's totally opposite of me being life. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go further than that. Being the resurrection and the life, I'm going to instill that life into other people who will believe. He was the resurrection for those who had believed in him and physically died. And he was life to those who believed and had not yet died. Do you see that? Resurrection to those who may have died. Life to those who were still living and believed. In his graciousness, what was Jesus doing? He was taking opportunity to build Martha's faith. To help her come to more and more understanding about who Jesus really was. After his exchange... Martha hurried back to get Mary from their home. She was probably still at home in the village because they were welcoming more and more people who were mourning with them. Mary goes out to meet Jesus. Jews follow her out thinking she's going to the tomb to mourn. When Mary arrived to Jesus, just like Martha, she too was filled with natural human disappointment. Pick up in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And the shortest verse in scripture, John chapter 11, verse 35, two simple words with profound meaning, Jesus wept. There are so many people in our world today who say that God is distant and disconnected from people. That maybe he even created the universe as we know it, and then took his hands off, walked away, and says, fend for yourself. But what I find in this is that Jesus was involved with the messiness of humanity. He was full of love, and he felt the pain and the grief of these personal friends. Here's what I've come to learn. God hurts when people hurt. He doesn't smile about what's happening in our world. He's moved with compassion. He's full of empathy and he's sympathetic to the hurts and needs of people. God is also moved by the emotion of anger, but not at people. Angry that people have suffered sickness and death and grief and misery. Angry knowing that all of these experiences that we all suffer and deal with in life are a result, the consequences of original sin that God never intended to be a part of our world. Jesus wept. He felt the humanity and also was God in the flesh. He was upset that sin even existed and that death existed as a result. With tears, he cried but not without the confidence of knowing what he was about to do. 
Sounds kind of like how it works for us in our lives as Jesus followers. We sit in the humanity of the emotion when we lose someone we love. We grieve, and we should, but we do not grieve as people without hope. Hope in Scripture speaks of confidence, that God is going to do what he said he would do. So Jesus wept, but he knew what he was about to do. We may grieve and weep, but we know what he's already done and what he's promised to come in our lives as Jesus followers. Pick it up in verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could Jesus not have opened, the one who opened the eyes of a blind man, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Think about how magnificent and powerful this moment is. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, Martha said, by now he stinketh. That's King James. By now he stinketh. He's been in this tomb for four days. He's going to have a bad odor, Jesus. When you open this up, you don't even have to be standing close to it. He's going to stink. And Jesus said, giving an opportunity for faith yet again, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe you sent me. And then Jesus went on to prove himself to be true to his word, to prove himself as the Son of God, and to prove himself not just being able to do an event of resurrection, but as the resurrection and the life. Verse 43 When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Typical process for someone who's dead. And Jesus said to them, I love this phraseology, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Augustine is credited with saying, of this moment in history with Jesus, if Jesus hadn't specified the name of Lazarus, when Jesus called out for him to come forth, all the sainted dead would have risen from their graves. If Jesus hadn't been specific, he has so much power and authority that just at his word, all of the sainted dead would have risen. They had to take the grave clothes off of Lazarus because they were no longer needed. He was dead, but he was now alive. Jesus had come on the scene and changed everything. What I love about this narrative is it pointed to what Jesus was about to do just a few days later. Because just in a few days, there would be another resurrection that would take place. See, Jesus had given his word that that was going to happen. Luke chapter 18, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him, and they will kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. God, who was connected with his own human creation, created in his image, was grieved about the reality of sin and the consequences, was empathetic and angry towards our suffering. 
See, God had created a perfect world, and it was good. Repeatedly through the creation narrative, Scripture tells us that God called what he did good. And it wasn't just he did a good thing. Good means that it was pure. It was without the stain of sin. It was perfect in its creation. Satan comes along who'd rebelled against God, deceived Adam and Eve, and led them to believe that they could basically be their own God and that they could determine right and wrong for themselves. Doesn't that sound like our culture today? Adam and Eve bought into the lies, and as representatives of humanity, they rebelled against God. And as a result, Scripture teaches us, especially in Romans chapter 5, that sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, there were consequences. Sickness, suffering, death, separation from God in life and in eternity. But on the cross... Jesus secured victory over sin and went through death to bring victory over death to provide us forgiveness and freedom and power and life and right relationship with God. Our sin was laid on Jesus. Our punishment that we deserved was laid on Jesus. The perfect God was pleased to have the innocent blood of Jesus applied to cover our sin. And the righteousness of Jesus that we don't deserve, that we could never earn, was made available to be credited to us when we believe in him. Through his resurrection, I said this Friday in our Good Friday service, through his resurrection, Jesus verified everything that he said. He proved his identity as the Son of God And he guaranteed his words that when he said, I will forgive sin. Jesus took his grave clothes off, neatly folded them and laid them in place. And he walked out of the grave, fully alive, holding the keys and power over death, hell, and the grave. Now why does this matter? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sin. If Jesus didn't come out of that tomb, how could we believe anything he'd ever said? How could we be sure that on the cross there was victory? How could we be sure that our sins would be forgiven? We wouldn't. He would have been just like any other mortal who when they went in the tomb didn't come back to life unless Jesus had been a part of bringing them back to life, unless they'd been resuscitated. Even Lazarus would eventually die. But Jesus comes out, and Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So Jesus did this so that there would be more to come. So now if we're talking resurrection, we we talked about the resurrection of Lazarus that also pointed to the resurrection of Jesus. But the resurrection of Jesus points to a third resurrection, and that's your life. The resurrection and the life wants to bring resurrection to your life. Scripture teaches us that when, when we are not walking in relationship with Jesus, that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. That only by the grace of God, acknowledging we're sinners, acknowledging we've gone our own way, only when we believe in Jesus can we be saved and have eternal life. Before Jesus, we're dead in our sins. 
after Jesus, when we believe in him, we're alive because of his grace, living a new life. And Jesus gets all the glory. Much like with Lazarus, no one else could have done what he did. And no one else in our lives could have done what Jesus did. He gets all the glory because he rescued us from our hopeless state. We were lost and now we're found. And then there's eternal life. You've got to deal with that Jesus was the first of the great harvest to come. The moment that we believe in Jesus and follow him is the moment that we as Jesus followers begin to live forever. It's hard for us to comprehend forever because we've never lived it. We throw that word around, but we've never lived forever. We can't fully wrap our minds around the concept of forever. But because of Jesus, his finished work and his resurrection, Jesus followers, even those who face a physical death in this life, will experience that that death is just a gateway into glory. It's just an open portal right on into heaven with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what Scripture declares, but it goes even further. That death no more has a hold on the believer. Death can't take away our spiritual life or our eternal life. Life, as a Jesus follower, has been imparted to us by the resurrection and the life himself. So even our old bodies, the ones that were achy and full of pain this morning when you got up, the ones that struggled to get ready because it would have been easier to hit snooze and roll over again, the one who barely has a voice left to finish the service, those old bodies will be transformed into new perfect bodies like Jesus And we will live forever without the stain of sin and without the consequences of sin any longer. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I hurt. Come on, be real. I'm standing over here in this corner worshiping Jesus, trying not to sing so I can keep my voice because it's hard for me not to worship. And I realize that the floor comes together in a certain way that one foot is standing higher than the other while I'm standing there. And my foot started hurting. I mean, people tried to tell me for years, the older you get, the more you realize you hurt. You don't even know why you're hurting. Why am I sore? Why am I bruised? What is happening? Even worse for people who go through suffering with disease and sickness, cancer. You could go on down the line. The older I get, the more I say, come Jesus. Because there will be a day when there will be no more sickness and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more struggle and no more grief and no more heartache and no more pain. A life in eternity with forevermore with God. So Jesus in his work now impacts our life and he declares over our life the same thing that he declared over Lazarus' life. Take off the grave clothes and let them go. You're no longer bound to sin. You're no longer obligated to sin. You no longer have to live under the conviction and guiltiness of sin. No matter where you are or what you've done, you can walk out of the grave of sin. You can walk out of the grave of death. You can live life, full life now, and life forever with Jesus. Maybe today you say, well, I'm I'm too messy. 
What I love about Jesus is that he came into the messiness of humanity to bring grace, to change our lives, to offer us much more than we could ever deserve. If you've been on this journey with us through the Gospel of John, then you're familiar with this verse of Scripture. It's the purpose of why John wrote. He said in John 20, verse 31, these things are written, all of these signs of Jesus, the seven I am statements, the teaching discourses, but particularly these signs, these seven signs unique to the Gospel of John, not captured in other Gospels. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, notice it, and that by believing, you may have what? Life in his name. Life in his name. I want to ask you today to bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't want you to do this out of religious practice or routine. I want you to do it today because I want you to hear from God what God is saying to you. I want you to know how this applies to your life today. I'm going to ask our prayer team members to come and to find your place on either side of the auditorium and just be prepared in a few moments. There'll be some people who want to pray with you, talk with you. It's time for you to experience the resurrection and the life of Jesus. You don't truly live until you know Jesus. And you certainly don't have eternal life with God until you know Jesus. Until you have repented, turned away from your sin, and instead turned to God to follow Him, to believe in Him, to obey Him, to be on that journey with Him. Jesus said, and it's captured actually in John's Gospel as well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we've got to do something with that claim. You're living in a world today that says it doesn't matter what path you take, eventually you're going to end up in the same destination. But I'm sure you've used a GPS enough to know or used a map enough to know that not all roads lead to the same place. You've got to do something with the claim of Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You've got to deal with the reality of his words. And if he rose from the dead, which he did, then he proved he was more than a mere mortal. And if he's the son of God, then you've got to deal with his words. And to deal with his words means you've got to choose, am I going to surrender my life to God, or am I going to reject the only means of salvation and eternal life in my life? One of the most well-known verses of Scripture It's been plastered in so many different places through the years. For God so loved the world. That's you, that's me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever, anyone, from any place, with any kind of of past, anyone who would believe in Jesus would not perish would not be separated from God for eternity, but would have everlasting life, forever life with Jesus.
What we're celebrating this weekend is more than a holiday on the calendar. What we're celebrating is that Jesus stepped into the messiness of humanity to bring the answer, to be the answer for our sin issue. To save us, to redeem us. And then to fill us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what scripture teaches us. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to our lives to redeem, to transform, to to bring us to a place greater than we could ever get to ourselves. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or more abundantly. And then there's the issue of eternal life. You've got to deal with that this life isn't permanent. That in reality, this is just a blip on the radar. But forever, it's forever. And you can be with God forever, or we can be separated from God forever. I would suggest today, it's easy to make your choice. Because God, in His greatest way possible, proved His love for you. God gave His only Son... And Jesus, even though there were people who were happy to take his life, Jesus willingly laid it down. You understand? If his word can bring a dead man out of the tomb, if his word is so powerful, then Jesus could have spoken a word when they came to arrest him and knocked them all to the ground. Jesus could have called angels to get him off the cross, but he didn't do it. His word is so powerful that he could have changed that, but he stayed there. He did it for you. He wants you to know life. He wants you to know resurrection. I'm going to ask you if you're in the auditorium today, would you stand with me all across the room? heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to just ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Here's here's what I would say to you today. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. It's really a matter of if you have received Jesus and asked Jesus to be the King of your life. He is King, and we've seen today His Word is true, so we know everything He said. Uh, the, the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. He's going to create a new heavens and new earth. There is a real eternity coming. We know all of this to be true because He came out of that tomb just as He said He would. So you've got to do something with that. Do you believe in Jesus as the Son of God? That He came not just as a human, but as God's Son to die in your place? Do you believe that He is the Savior of the world, the Savior of your life, that He came to rescue you and He's the only answer? Do you struggle to believe despite the evidence? That that was something that Jesus experienced in His time. He gave miracle after miracle to help people who were suffering. He spoke with authority. He proved His power and His identity, and yet there were people who rejected Him. I would challenge you today to to understand and remember that the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures, are more than just a book of stories, much more. But this book is capturing many of them first-hand eyewitnesses of the things that took place. 
that this history of the facts and reality of the past was written closer to the time these events actually happened than some of the things we put our faith in that were taught from history books. This is well documented. Jesus was the Son of God and came to this earth and lived and died and rose again and ascended back to heaven and He's inviting you today to a different life, a a life that is impacted with resurrection power and an eternal life to be with Him forever. I would ask you today, are you ready to experience resurrection power in your life? Because Jesus is ready to step into whatever you feel is the messiness of your life and to bring His grace and power that are more than enough. Today, there are people who will talk with you. There are people who will help you know what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do I take my first steps? Uh, How do I, I, once I've prayed that, that prayer to ask Jesus to lead my life, how do I know it's real, even if the emotions don't seem to line up? How do I go from there in, in living and following Jesus? What does it really mean? There are people today who will help you, who will pray with you, who will talk with you and lead you to Jesus. And then for everyone in this room, everyone online, we should be a grateful people for everything that was done in this weekend that we celebrate. He paid our sin debt. He redeemed us. He bought us back from the bondage and obligation of sin. And now we can live for Jesus. We can follow Him. We can be free, forgiven, and on our way to eternal life in the fullest degree. If you're in the room today and you say, I know Jesus has changed my life. And you're grateful for that. Would you just stretch your hands with me towards the Lord as a sign of worship to Him? And in your own words, would you just say, thank you, Jesus. In your own way, think back today for for the moment that, that the Lord saved you. Think back. Not in a way of guilt or condemnation, but think back to to what life was before Jesus. And you know, you recognize that life is totally different today because of the resurrection and the life that Jesus has brought to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the greatest peace today that we can experience is knowing that we're right with you. I'm going to pray for you today. And uh, I'm going to ask that after that, you take an opportunity to respond however you need to. If that's gratitude and worship, or if that's a moment of prayer and surrendering yourself to God and inviting Jesus to be the King that He is even in your life, today I want to encourage you to respond. If you have needs today, and you're needing someone to just agree with you for God to intervene, today's a great day for these to pray with you and for God to do great things. Father, thank you for the truth of the word and thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. I entrust this people to you today that in their hearts the Holy Spirit would be at work, that the convincing of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be real in any heart that doesn't know you, Lord, that's not in relationship with you and that today that would change. Today, they would come to you and they would experience true resurrection and life. I pray, Father, that you would bless and keep this people as they follow you. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. 
May your countenance, your favor ever be turned in their direction. And Lord, would you grant them your peace. May the greatest peace in their hearts be the peace of knowing that they've dealt with the sin issue and that Jesus is the King and Lord of their lives. Even that they're ready, Lord, for whenever eternity comes. I pray, God, that you will save today just as you promised. That you will meet needs. That you will go before us and live in us the power of the resurrection alive and well. That we would grow and be transformed by your power. And Lord, keep us safe and well. Thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Take some time to respond however you need to today. There are people who will talk and pray with you. God bless you. Happy Easter. Celebrate today because Jesus is alive.